0: Hello, and welcome to the Anatomy of a Leader podcast with me, Maria Vorostovsky. I'm the founder and CEO of HVO Search. This podcast is for anyone working at the intersection of creativity, retail, and digital. Each month, I discover more about founders, investors, CEOs, chairmen, and women, how they succeeded, how they failed, and what they learned along the way. So Peter, thank you so much for having us here at the Superdry showroom. My pleasure. Uh, Wonderful to see you. Thank you. I was just racking my brains and I've realised that I've known you my entire career. Which is spanning 15 years and during this time what I've noticed about you is that you're very kind of, you're curious about people, you stay very current, you always like to, you know, be um, involved and, and be aware of what's going on and you've always been very supportive. You've always kind of willing to give back and I really appreciate that about you.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: And also during this time, so you've left your position as a CEO of Selfridges. Yep. And kind of became more of a collector of chairmanship, so to speak, so Superdry, Sophia Webster at the moment amongst others, and then ASOS and Boohoo in the past. Yep, Very colorful, very interesting career and very interested to hear your story and about your journey and how you came to be where you are today. So yeah, if you can tell us how you started and sure, um, yeah. To hear so
1: um, by background, I'm actually uh, an accountant. So I started off after I left university working for what was then one of the big eight accounting firms. Mm. Um, got the precious piece of paper. Then worked for in their consultancy business, which is what is Accenture today, oh. basically. Mm. It was Anderson Consulting before that. Uh, I did my time at Anderson's for about seven years, and then went into industry. And I've always worked really in consumer products or or consumer facing businesses. Mm -hmm. So I started in a division of uh, of Sony. Uh, I then worked for a private company, which sold um, sound recording equipment. Um, And then my first job in retail really was as a group financial controller at Freeman's, which was a really traditional, very old style, um, uh, large catalog, thousand Mm. pages issued twice a year. And from Freeman's, I went to Selfridges, um, where I was finance director. Um, I was at Selfridges when we did the huge refurbishment for the first time of Oxford mm. Street in the 90s, um, and we opened stores also for the first time outside London. We mm. became a public company. Um, we were then acquired. I then became CEO. Um, uh, we were acquired then by the Western family, who own it today. Uh, And I suppose if I was to pick up, you know, one point in my executive career that was really the zenith, if you like, it was, Mm. you know, that time at Selfridges, which was Mm. so fantastic.
0: You must have seen a lot of change during that time, so... Lots, lots was happening and yes. different transitions of the business as well. Yeah, so no, fascinating.
1: Yes, I mean I think that the, the, the you know the thing about retail, particularly uh, since the arrival of the internet, is mm-hmm. it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. You know, you th- th- there are more stores than the customer really needs. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, every retailer is beholden to try and show the customer something new, something they haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, you compete with people's leisure time for whether it's you know going to the cinema or going to a football match or going to a concert or mm. just going out with their friends, you know, retail no longer is a necessity. Mm. Um, retail is something that people can do at any time, 24/7. You know, mm. particularly via the internet. Mm.
0: We talked a lot about kind of shopping and fashion as entertainment. Do you think it's more? that now than it has ever been in the past i
1: i think it is particularly for things like fashion i mean Mm. obviously in the sort of commodity-based um supermarkets for example you know that is still a, a necessity um, but if you think about it, uh, you know, when you get up on a Saturday morning, you, know, you don't sort of throw off the bed covers and go, yes, wow, I'm off to Tesco's for the morning shop. Mm. You, know, you might say that, though, if you're going, say, to a Selfridges or a Harrods or a mm-hmm. Harvey Nichols. Mm. Um, you know, those, those sorts of places still provide, I think, you know, a point of difference and a real uh, buzz factor, mm. which is different to um, uh, the more staple purchases that you have to make for no, your life.
0: Sure. So, since Selfridges, you've been doing lots of kind of non-executive work, chair, you know, being a chairman. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about
1: what Yes, like? I mean, I, I did two CEO roles in my mm. career. The first was at Selfridges, and the second was with a company called Alpha, who did mm-hmm. tax and duty-free retail mm-hmm. and um, flight catering, providing food to go on board aircraft. Mm. And I finished my... Um, uh, executive career, I suppose, say 10 or so years ago, and since then, I've, I've been doing really a portfolio of either non-exec directorships or now much more um, chairmanships, mm. and it's just a different thing. I mean, the reality is that when you get to my age, you know, I'm I'm 65, you know, when you get to my age, if you want to continue working full-time, it's more likely that you're going to be doing non-executive and chair roles and mm. you're going to be running a business. That's mm. just the statistical reality, mm. um, and I enjoy work, you know. I. I'm happy to work full time um, I don't play golf uh, and 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 I enjoy particularly the sort of consumer facing parts of the mm. things that I do and the fact that I also do some things outside the u k as mm. well
0: no I always noticed that about you that you you really love the industry and you always are paying attention to what is going on
1: yes I think I mean I think the, the particularly in fashion mm. um, it is changing so fast and it changes so fast Mm -hmm. and and there's not a sort of rule about really well this is going to be the hot product i mean yes in the luxury Mm -hmm. world you know the brands do get behind the the, you know the new bag or the the new look Mm -hmm. or 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 whatever um but actually it's not um it's not it's, it's not it's not automatic that the consumer latches on to certain things yeah. and particularly since the sort of advent which is even more the case now that's been the case for decades mm-hmm. the advent of sort of celebrity fashion and the association mm-hmm. with what celebrities are wearing mm-hmm. you know david beckham wore the famous osaka six t-shirt mm-hmm. and superdry then sold them in their millions. Mm. You know, there was no rationale for that. They weren't expecting that. Mm. Um, but that's a quirk of what can go on.
0: And now everyone's trying to repeat that kind of um, unrepeatable kind of like viral things that you don't plan. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, as
1: I said, I don't think celebrity fashion is is a new idea at all. It mm. goes back to Princess Grace, and you know, it goes goes back decades, mm. um, if not sort of centuries. If you like, we're always intrigued by what famous people or, mm. or, or um, you know, our icons are wearing and what they're doing and what they're up to and mm. all the rest of it.
0: And what is it that you love about what you do?
1: Um, I think now, I mean, now it's slightly different. I do miss, uh, if I'm honest, um, the executive role and the executive life when you're with the team doing stuff and you're very much part of that team. Now, Mm. you know, I'm I'm much more of a kind of casual visitor, as it were, Mm. um, to the five or so companies that I'm involved with. Mm. Um, But I like the variety. Um, I like seeing other people, you know, I think my, my responsibility now is not so much to, obviously lead a business, I lead the board, but mm. I don't lead the business. Mm. Um, and I see my role, you know, very much as, you know, trying to make sure that the company becomes successful mm-hmm. and then allowing the executives to enjoy that. Because I know that from my own career, particularly at Selfridges, you know, when we achieve something that mm. was, you know, Almost world class. That's a tremendous, Philip. Um, you know, I think that you know, we when we go home and we're with our friends and we're over the dinner table at home and all the rest of it. You 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 know, you want to be positive. You people come to work to shine. You know, they mm-hmm. want to be there to do good things generally.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think if you're able to achieve that in your life, that's mm-hmm. really fantastic.
0: So, how did you adjust from running a business to then operating more at the board level rather than being directly involved at the kind of execution?
1: I mean, it is very different, and, and I think that, you know, you have to be very clear as a chair that you're there to run the board, not the business. Mm-hmm. I think that those situations which can occur where, mm-hmm. you know, it's not quite clear who's doing what is quite dangerous. It's yeah. dangerous for the business, and it's dangerous for the, you know, the, for the value creation within mm-hmm. the business, quite frankly. Um, I was quite lucky because uh, at an early stage in my career when I was still CEO at Selfridges, Um, I did one non-executive and that was actually at Capital Radio, Mm -hmm. so again another very fun business, Mm -hmm. very Mm London-centric obviously, Um, but that gave me a stepping stone into, if you like, what was expected um, as uh, as to the sort of second part of my career, if you like, Mm -hmm. in terms of doing non-exec directorships, Mm -hmm. And, and I went on from there really.
0: I know you said you started as an accountant, but what inspired you in the early days? Or, you know, was there a special role model? Or, you know, how did it... Help?
1: No, I, I, I mean, I think that, that, that I, when I left university, mm. um, you know, I hadn't done a business degree, which mm. I think if I was going through university now is definitely what I would, would do. You know, I did maths at university. Mm. Um, and I felt that, that, you know, this is way back in the 70s, you know, doing the accounts qualification was almost akin to doing a business degree, mm. but you got paid for it because mm. you worked for a firm. Mm. Um, and that's why I went and did that, because it gave me, a, you know, exposure to a whole variety of different businesses. Mm. One of the audits I worked on way, way back was Habitat. And, and the Comran Associates. So I, I sort of got a bit of a flavour from that in, term, in terms of the retail world. Mm. And, and, and what I like about it, sort of unashamedly, is the feeling that you know, I'm involved with businesses where I might be the customer. Right. So it's a product or a brand or a service or something that mm. I myself might do or enjoy. And I think that really then, you know, at a simple level, kind of helps you really relate to the business mm. because you look at it through the eyes of the customer. Mm. And I often try you know, in board meetings to sort of um, you know, do exactly that and say to people, okay, so how, what's the customer view on this? Mm. Because otherwise, you know, very often companies can get, a very inter- you know, they get very internalized about what they're doing and how they're looking at things. Mm. And they're not looking at it from the outside in, they're looking at it from the inside mm. out.
0: We obviously talk about successes, and you've had a very successful career, but less so about failures. Can you tell us about a time where you have failed? What happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, quite early on in my career, I was um, when I was a, a group financial controller at a, a, a subsidiary of Sony, mm. um, uh, I was, one of the things that we were doing was to put in a new computer system, which I was responsible for. Um, and um, although you know we went through the process, selecting the right system and all the rest of it, what I didn't do was I didn't put in enough resources to mm-hmm. the actual implementation of it. So I sort of ended up being sucked, sucked into the actual process far mm-hmm. too much, um, and I ended up working sort of crazy hours to get this thing done, and it didn't really get implemented with mm-hmm. you know enough of sort of controls around it. So I've learnt from that kind of bitter <laughs> experience yeah. if you like to make sure that things like that get properly resourced and mm. that there are early warning signs if things are not going, you know, according to plan. Mm. So you make sure that you've actually got the right resources. Mm. And I've also been in businesses, you know, to be candid where we you know which have have gone into administration. You know, I was at Blacks when you know, I was appointed by the bank um, to be the chairman mm-hmm. um, because they were concerned about you know the way what was happening to the business. Um, And in the end, the only route through it was to actually put it through a a pre-pack administration, which was a very painful process for the the business and and for many of the people involved. But the business ended up being bought by JD Sports, which I think is a very good retailer, Mm -hmm. you know, very much in that sector. So although, you know, it did result in quite a number of people losing their jobs, you know, it was the right outcome because Mm -hmm. the majority of the stores were kept Um, uh, and the majority of people's livelihoods, you know, were protected.
0: Mm. No, it's like having to to stay a little bit impartial to that and really focusing on what's the right thing for the business.
1: Yes, I mean, I think, think, dare I say it, you know, as you get a bit older, you've seen a few of these scenarios, Mm. so you're not necessarily spooked yeah. Um, when difficult times come around yeah. and it's important particularly if you if, if you're chairing the board that you've got people around the table who you know when the headlights come on don't sort of you know as it were run for the hills if mm. you like that everybody stays calm and works methodically through it mm. and you know that's really really important in terms of where we are right now with you know the current both you know political and economic climate it's all too yes. easy to mm. panic and, and do the wrong thing
0: so what do you think is is happening in the industry right now. What are your thoughts about that?
1: So, I mean, I think, you know, retail will continue in, 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 in a strong voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there may be fewer stores um, and there may be much more happening digitally, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's the end of the high street, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think
0: I, retail is dead?
1: No, not at all, not yeah. at all. No, no, f- And physical retail, I think, will always have a place because actually people like to go out. I mean, not everybody will do this all the time. Um, and they may may well make sort of commodity purchases because they know their size and they've mm. bought that style before um, so why not just order it online, they may well do that. But I still think there is, um, uh, there can be a drama and a theatre in, in stores which mm. you can go to visit mm. and you don't as yet you don't completely get that experience on that immersive sort of experience online. So I think that you know do, the two do the, are completely different. Uh, yeah, I think you do the mm. two things. But it does make it does mean that for all retailers the pressure is on to make their physical environments much more interesting mm. and much more theatrical and you can't and just put things to to. on the shelves anymore. No, you have to really exactly work right. for it. No, exactly yeah. right. Exactly. Well right. as
0: a chairman, I mean you have you've, you've you know you, you're a chairman of a a very strong retail business but also have been on the boards of online companies yeah. obviously dealing with lots of different personalities very strong personalities what do you think makes you a good chairman
1: <laughs> well i think you really have to ask the people i work with if mm. if, if that's the case or not because mm. i don't think it's for me to sort of um talk it up well you, you must like. be no no, no. <laughs> I, I i mean i think that the things that i try to ensure happen is 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 one that you know i chair the board i don't run the business mm-hmm. and that there is a clear line between what I do and what the CEO does. Mm. The relationship with the CEO is, is, is really important. Mm. And sometimes that can be more difficult where the CEO, as 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 I have done in two or three places now, you know, mm. is also the founder of the business mm. because they've grown up with it. It may be the only place they've ever worked. Mm. Um, so they have no experience of other businesses. So all they know is, is, is the business they've worked in. Mm. But you know, some of these people, you know, like like Nick Nick Robertson and, and, and Julian Duncan. And you know, they've achieved so much, it's absolutely Mm. fantastic. Mm. The the secret for them all, and I think those two generally are pretty good at this, Mm. is to recognize the bits that they're not so good at Mm. um, and make sure they bring in people, you know, to to look after those sorts of Mm. things.
0: And how do you deal with that? I mean, if you notice, you know, a challenging situation with the founder or CEO, how do you? how do you resolve that
1: well i think i mean y- y- you have to try and avoid being too direct because mm. sometimes they just sort of you know rear up against it and and, and won't and won't listen mm. uh, it's important that you've got the kind of support of your colleagues on the your other non-exec colleagues mm. on the board and in, but but you know it's not something that you can shy away from if you're a public company because mm. at the end of the day even though the founders sat there and perhaps running the business and has a very large share stake, mm. they're not the only shareholder. Mm. And, and in a way, you know, the role of the chair is to make sure that the shareholders who aren't in the room mm. have a voice and are represented and will be happy you know, with what's, what's being done.
0: Mm. Can you tell about a challenging situation that you have been in and how you handled that?
1: So when I first went to uh, Selfridges way back in 1991, so a Mm. long time ago, Mm. um, Selfridges at that time was a really old-fashioned department store. Mm. So uh, Harrods had had some money spent on it by Mohammed Al-Fayed, maybe not all of it very wisely, um, but Harvey Nichols, was the number two store in, in, the, in London because of all the whole Ab Fab series and it was very sort of cool fashion-wise. Mm. Selfridges in the early 90s was almost like Grace Brothers personified. Quite old-fashioned. Um, parts of the store weren't connected properly. It had um, didn't have escalators connecting all sections of the building. Um, uh, the electrics were sort of like 40 years old. The shop fits were very tired. And most importantly, we couldn't attract even the obvious brands at that time, like Mm. Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein, to supply the store because they said the store was too grotty. Selfridges had had a big plan um, that they presented to the then shareholder, the then owner of the business, which was Sears, which was a very large UK um, retail conglomerate they presented this plan to completely rejuvenate um, Selfridges on Oxford Street. The problem was this came with like a 40 million price tag. So it was a huge amount of money because Sears were only used to spending about five or seven million pounds Mm -hmm. a year on Selfridges. I'll come back to this, but we eventually spent 93 million, but that's right, besides, okay. besides the point. Yeah. So um, what we did was we went to, rather than, and there was a stalemate between Sears who said, we're not prepared to invest all this mm. money, and just saying, well, if you don't do this, the store's gonna die mm. eventually. So we went to back to, to see us and said, okay, we still want to do the big project, but we need to prove it to you. So we did just a section of the store. So in 1993, we refurbished the whole of the east end of the building, which is where you see um, Louis Vuitton and all mm-hmm. the luxury handbags um, today. And we put in a new set of escalators in that section of the store all the way up. We opened the aperture up so you could see if you came in on the ground floor, you could see all the way to the fourth floor and realize there was you know, lots of exciting mm-hmm. products to go and see fur- further up the store. Store and the results from just doing that section of the store that s- section of the store was up 25% mm. when the rest of the store was probably flat or up 2%. Mm. And it's a little bit like you know, if you go and you know, re- you think your sitting room at home is a bit tired, so you redecorate it. So you redecorate it, and then you realize you see the I've got and I've <laughs> got to do the rest of the house. Mm. So, in a way, Sears so were then on the hook. So, having Done this just this east end of the building, Mm. this eastern section. We then went on over a period of uh, five years in total, Mm. um, to completely redo Oxford Street. Amazing. And out of that came what I think, well, what people have genuinely sort of judged is possibly the you know the best department store in the world. Very proud of that. Yeah, yeah, which is Mm. fantastic. Mm. Fantastic for the team because hundreds of people worked on this.
0: Mm. No, amazing. No, it'd be good to talk about your kind of personal habits and your, whether you have like a daily ritual or something that you do on a day to day basis. So how do you yeah, I mean, I, keep I, on top of things?
1: I mean my, my, my diary is pretty fluid in the sense mm. that um, you know I do lots of different things. Mm. Um, you know I chair five companies, you know, one's in Berlin, one's in Istanbul, um, one's in Cheltenham and then the mm. other, you know, two are here in London. Um, so, I move around quite a bit, but that 's fine, and I, I like that once the board meetings are all set, actually, that kind of you know blocks out certain days, if you like. Mm. but actually, within all of that i I just make sure I spend enough time talking to people, whether it 's mm. people within the company or whether it 's people you know in the sector uh, and all the rest of it mm.
0: no i do I have noticed that about you you 're very good with people, very warm and very curious and interesting. That's very
1: generous of you to no, say I that. No, th- I really
0: I really think that. And do you have a personal mantra?
1: No, I, I not really. Mm. I mean, I suppose, you know, I look at I, I think you should enjoy work, mm. you know. Um Uh, as uh, as I've said before you know if people you know you you need to come to work and enjoy it I mean really if you're not enjoying it you should go do something else Mm -hmm. um, uh, because life is really too short Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's important that the people around you who are working with you in the team that they enjoy it too because you will then obviously get the best the best out of them Um, I encourage people to be you know Um, very open and very honest if there's a problem Mm. tell me you know don't let me discover it and then don't let me sort of get to a situation where you probably or me thinking that you should have told me Mm. you know it's much better to be open and honest about this thing and then you know you can bring all sorts of resources together you know to try and resolve the issue and the reality is in any company in any business in any organization Mm. there will always be issues and and they're not always created by people within the company sometimes they're created you know by people outside
0: mm. no it's 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 hard to deal with people on a day-to-day basis and having to first identify what the problem mm. is and then to actually be able to resolve yeah and that. i think
1: and i think the other thing that in retail that's so important and, and in business generally is the whole communication thing mm. that actually um you know you can have an individual who may be you know I mean obviously they, they need to be competent at what they do, mm. but actually if they're a good communicator in terms of how they deal with people, mm. um, then you know, they'll get so much further than, than than people who sort of you know work behind a closed door. Mm. And 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 in retail it's it, that, that's so important in a way you know, it's inbred in everybody, in the better people, because right. they you know, they know they've got to work on a shop floor and they've got to deal with members of the public. Mm-hmm. And and members of the public sometimes can be, you know, incredibly demanding. Yeah. Um, uh, but and you've got to work to their agenda, not yours. So so it kind of the industry one of the great things about the industry it attracts people, you know, who are generally quite outgoing and quite sociable. That's uh, true. and all
0: that. We actually did um, a blog a video blog not so long ago talking about millennials and how they are not necessarily so good at the face-to-face communication because of yeah. kind of hiding behind screens, etc. Have you noticed that, or are there any generational differences between, um, yeah, between different generations with how they communicate? Or
1: um, I think I think there can be. Mm. Um, uh, I I I think that you know i think technology is fantastic in the way it's freed people to be more flexible about where they work when they work mm. but one of the things i always think and it sounds a bit old fashioned but one of the things i think that is always useful is 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 the Coming together face to face, and uh, sometimes it's not possible with certain board meetings. But generally, I'm pretty insistent that we always meet in mm-hmm. a place and everybody is there around the table, mm-hmm. because it's only then that you can sort of pick up the nuances from people's body language as to what they're really thinking and what yeah. they're feeling. And 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 you know, on when you do things like conference calls, sometimes mm-hmm. it can things be we're missing. Yeah, that's right, and it can be the person who sort of shouts first and shouts the most, who sort of dominates the whole conversation, yeah. and and you know everybody's there. Everybody should be heard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, as I said, technology is fantastic for a whole load of things, uh, and does make lots of processes really much more infi- efficient. But I don't think you need you should let your whole be existence be dominated or ruled, if you like, yeah. by the technology.
0: No, for sure. So, Peter, what advice would you give your younger self? or somebody who's wanting to embark on a similar career to you well
1: I think that you know in my case I started out very much you know going through the finance accountancy route Mm. and actually if I had my time over again um, I would I would have done a a, probably a business degree Mm -hmm. um, knowing what I know now Um, I think that I might have gone into industry sooner I mean I spent seven years in the professions maybe maybe I should have you know, just done that maybe for mm-hmm. three years, um, but that's not a you know that's not a huge deal. I mean, I I'm somebody actually who is it sounds a bit sort of self-centered, but you know, I'm actually pretty content with what I ha- where I am and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. I get to do most of the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. I've worked with some amazing people. I've had some tough times and I've had some good times. Um, and I feel that, you know, uh, you should enjoy the successful moments because everybody gets tough times and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they kind of balance those out a bit. Um, yeah. uh, but, you, but actually you learn more from the tough times than you do in it's success. Mm-hmm. And, and so that makes you, I think, ultimately, you know, a stronger person
0: mm-hmm. uh, at the end of it. I suppose also being in the industry as many years as you have been, you've seen, Be careful you've seen here. it all. <laughs> <laughs> you were the one who mentioned it. No, there, no, right? I know, I did, I know, I did. Yeah, um, yeah so you, you've seen a different different stages, and you know, kind of like highs and lows. Yeah. And it's never really a consistent kind of straightforward path. No. And you know, kind of riding the. The highs and kind of weathering the lows because they all kind of come around again. Mm. So, um,
1: so yes, and, that, and and that's why you know if you do get into a crisis of, of whatever it happens mm. to be, you know it's just important everybody remains calm, mm. works together, um, and works methodically through it. And actually, usually you will get through it. Mm. And, and you know a year later you'll be looking back thinking, well that was tough, but I learned a few things no, from for it. Sure. And.
0: Um, Who's been the toughest person to work with
1: ah <laughs> 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 oh, that's a very interesting question <laughs> i think that um so I, I think in terms of tough but it was good for me in the mm. sense that i learned a lot mm. um uh we had a ver- very strong chairman at Selfridges, a guy called alan cathcart who actually was enormously helpful to me in my career because he helped me make the transition from being as he said Himself, Doctor No, the finance director, right. to become the CEO, and I, I would never have gone to gone on to do that mm-hmm. without his help. But he was he was quite a he's quite a sort of tough, not disciplinarian is probably the wrong word, but 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 he, he, he was a very methodical, very precise. Um, very uh, clear mm. uh, individual and, and, and at the time I was working for Vittorio Rudici who was very flamboyant mm. Italian mm-hmm. and Alan was almost like the sort of antidote to that if you mm. like so so he was tough but in a good in, in, in a good way yeah. I think the challenges come more recently have come for me in terms of you know where I've been working with very strong entre- entrepreneurs like Mahmood at, at, at Boohoo yeah. um, you know who who is built a fantastic business and done really really well Um, but sometimes you know these people can you know forget that actually they're not the only shareholder and Mm -hmm. that there are other things and now that they're a public company you know these things need Mm -hmm. to be adhered to Mm -hmm.
0: and what does leadership mean to you
1: so i think that um i mean you know as i as i've said a few times um you know leadership for me you know i lead the board i don't lead the business and I guess I would say that leadership for me is really just um, providing an environment through which the executive can succeed mm-hmm. and are given opportunities, and then allowing them to um, enjoy those moments when they do achieve. Yeah. So I, I'm providing, I think, the environment and the circumstances. Mm. They, oh. have, they have to achieve them.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure. Really good to talk to you. And Thank for you, you to share your story. and. Um And as always, if we can be helpful somehow, let us know. Thank you.